Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through the Bible, Solomon has built the temple. He has written his Proverbs. Now he's quoting others. Again, very important to remember Solomon did not write this section of the Proverbs. A quick review of last week as we didn't finish. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 32. At the last, it. Now that's in the context, he's talking about alcohol, but he's also talking about women. He's talking about sin in general. At the last, sin biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. We ask the question, so how do we escape sin? All of us have a sin we struggle with. I think that God designed it that way to keep us calling on Him. If we ever got to the point to where the Christian life was easy, we would lose contact with Him. I'm also convinced this is why our children keep coming back, because they need us. If they didn't need us, we might never see them again. Now, for some, that might be a good thing, but I'm convinced that proper parenting includes a provision to keep you coming back occasionally, just to keep the relationship developed. The same way we escape any sin is how we escape alcohol. A lot of people think you cannot escape alcohol without some kind of assistance. I disagree with that. The assistance is there if God wants you to use it, but I don't want anyone to think that there's no cure for alcoholism unless you go to a doctor. Jesus can and will guide us through whatever method he wants us to go through. Sometimes that includes doctors, but if there's no doctor available, that doesn't mean that there's no hope. Hebrews chapter 12, as Ray read a few minutes ago, wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, whatever it is. And let us run with patience the race that is before us. We have to decide to try. When we quit, when we give up, it's we're done. We're done. Looking unto Jesus, we have to start with Jesus. And so many Christians... They're looking to Jesus to get them to heaven, but not to help them in this life. Scripture tells us we are to start with Jesus here as we deal with sin. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Be honest with him. I encourage, say the words out loud. Do it privately, just between you and him, but say the words. It will be very, very helpful just vocally being honest about your struggle. You have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. Folks, this is difficult for everyone. Keep trying whatever the sin is. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. Get into God's Word. God's Word is very, very powerful. Not just to read it and be done with it, but to look at it and say, what is God saying to me in this passage? 
My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. It's supposed to be difficult. That's the hard thing to swallow. To me, for me and all this, it's supposed to be difficult? Yes, it's supposed to be difficult. It warns us and others not to go there. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Jesus will help. Watch for it. Write down what he does. Again, very helpful in watching the things that God does for us so that when it seems like he's not doing anything, we can look back and say, he did this, he did this, he did. By the way, praising him is simply naming those things. Thank you, God, for doing that. Thank you, God, for it's praising him. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. We ended last, last week with check your salvation. I did not like the way I ended last week. And so I want to deal with this just for a moment. Over the years, I have wondered, am I truly saved? There's a passage in the Bible that talks about people standing before God and saying, haven't we done all this stuff in your name? He says, then depart from me. I never knew you. So they thought they were saved. That opens up the door. Am I really saved? I think I'm saved. Is it possible I'm one of them? And so I'm going to deal with this for a few minutes because there are a lot of people who particularly when they get familiar with sovereign grace for the first time, it's like, all right, am I one of the elect? How do I know if I'm one of the elect? Uh, at Park Ridge, there's a couple of people there that um, because I'm there, I'm a little more vocal. And so it's like, well, how do I know if I'm in that group or not? And so I've had to use the same situation with them. And so I want to share it with you in case there's even one person in the room that's wondering, how do I know if I'm really saved? This is what gave it to me. The reason I say this is what gave it to me is because God may use something different with you. Don't answer out loud. You die. Like these people, you stand before God and He says, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Why shall I let you into heaven? What would you say? For years, I drew on May the 12th, 1974. What is May the 12th, 1974? May the 12th, 1974 was the Wednesday night when I sat right there at Park Ridge Baptist Church and it occurred to me because I was a sinner, I deserved to go to hell. It disturbed me. It, uh, the service ended. I sat right there with my head down. Dad went around locking up. He comes back through the door that's right there at Park Ridge. And he saw me sitting there. And he said, what's the matter? I said, I don't want to go to hell. That is when he showed me exactly what it takes not to go to hell. And I called on the, I called on the name of the Lord that day. And... As I have looked back at that day, how do I know I'm saved? May the 12th, 1974. 
But then something occurred to me later on, the whole sinner's prayer thing. How many people have done exactly what I did and are not going to go to heaven? They remember a moment when they had something happen, but then the rest of their life, there's really no proof of it whatsoever. No evidence. James says there has to be evidence. By the way, this is why all of the denominations, with the exception of some of the Presbyterians, all of the denominations leave open the door that you can lose your salvation because they say, yes, you can say the sinner's prayer and then wind up unsaved. They do the math, they come up with 2 plus 2 equals 18. It's not how it works. Okay? Scripture says in the book of James that real salvation produces fruit. It produces fruit. It's not something we produce to keep saved. It, true salvation produces fruit. So the fruit has to be there. So now I've got the sinner's prayer of, on some level calling on Jesus however you did it. Then we've got to have the fruit. What happened with that? I'll worry about it later. I just learned fruit. Hmm? fruit. Fruit. Okay. So now I've got to have a certain amount of fruit in there. How much fruit is enough? If an orange tree produces one orange over the entire time that it's alive, is it still an orange tree? What if it only gets a bud of an orange, whatever that's called, but the orange never develops? Is that really an orange tree? And suddenly it's like, how do I know if I'm in this group that thinks they're going to heaven, but really, it's gone. I'm a bastard and not a son. How do I know? What would I answer to the question, why should I let you into heaven? Will identify that. Why should I let you into heaven? If, and hear me carefully, if, I stand before God and I say, God, on May the 12th, 1974, I called on you to save me. What if he says that you're one of those that think you're saved, but you're not really? You're one of those that you said it, but you didn't mean it. You see, this just brings up all kind of fear because it's like, what if I wind up in hell? What would I say if God asked me, why should I let you into heaven? The illustration is the chair. Okay? If you haven't heard it before, I'm going to walk you through it. If you have, pay attention so you can give it to somebody else. I've used this a thousand times. No, no exaggeration. Do you believe the chair exists? Don't answer out loud, but do you believe the chair exists? <clears throat> Do you believe the chair could hold you up? Is the chair holding you up now? The obvious answer is no. All of us say, yes, we believe it exists. All of us say we believe it could hold us up, but it's not holding any of us up. Why? Because we're sitting on those chairs. We're depending on those chairs to hold us up. And those chairs will not get anybody to heaven. Let's let the chair represent Jesus. More people now than ever believe Jesus never existed. 
Let me say that again. More people now than ever believe there never was a man named Jesus. They believe the whole thing's a fairy tale in spite of the historical evidence. So for some people, that's easy. No, I don't believe Jesus exists. Okay, right there, that identifies the problem. But a lot of people, they say, okay, George Washington existed, Abraham Lincoln existed. Um, so Jesus must be, he's a historical figure. I'll go with that. Do you believe Jesus could do something for you? More people than ever would say no, even if they believe it exists. Why? Because you have to be a good person to get into heaven. God loves everybody. Jesus died for everybody. And so I've got to add something to that. So therefore, really, he didn't do anything for me specifically. He did something for everybody that is available, but I've got to add something to it. When you have been in a position that you realize God could kill you at any moment because of what you're doing, that will clarify everything. Do I believe Jesus exists? Yes, I do. Do I believe Jesus could do something for me? Yes, I do. And folks, I'm depending on it. I'm going to climb up in the chair and take my feet off the ground. When you've been in a position to where you feel like God's going to kill you at any moment because of what you're doing, and God says to you, why should I let you into heaven? The only answer is what Jesus did. If what Jesus did is not enough, you should not let me into heaven. Once it occurred to me that taking my feet off the floor, that's real salvation regardless of how I got here, whether I said the sinner's prayer or whatever, the, May 12th doesn't matter. Okay, I think that's one reason why most of us can't remember the day that it happened because God really don't care about the day that it happened. Who am I trusting? What am I trusting? Before, I felt like not only was I trusting Jesus, but I was also trusting my feet on the floor, just in case the chair gives in. But it's, I was also hanging on to baptism, because after all, that is the first act of obedience. I was also concerned about my Bible reading, because it's there, but I wasn't really holding on to that. And so I read enough to say, like, okay. So now I've got the chair, I've got my feet, I've got baptism, I've got the Bible reading. It's like, all right, if any one of these gives way, maybe the other one will hold. That's not salvation. We have to get to the point to where the only thing that's going to get us there is Jesus. Amen. That's a hard place to get if you're a good person. That's why so many good people that are not saved don't feel the need to ever get saved because I'm a good person. In our world, what does it mean to be a good person? It means don't kill anybody. That's really all you got to do is don't kill anybody and you're, you're okay. You fit in with our society, which is, says something terrible about our society. But so many people go to church and they fit right in because it's fun. Friends are there. They don't say anything offensive. Why not? I'm good as them. 
And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people in church today that are never confronted with the fact you've got to trust Jesus. They may hear it. They may, at the end of the sermon here, well, you need to trust Jesus if you never have. Well, I must have. I'm here. And so it muddies the water. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone go out and commit some great sin, but I am suggesting that we look at sin the way God looks at sin. And ask ourselves, Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for one sin. Could they have said, well, we were baptized? God has said, well, so what? I told you don't eat of that tree. Sin is much worse than we can possibly imagine. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for one sin. Could they say, well, God, we, we, we read the whole Bible. Of course, they didn't have it, but whatever they had, I'm sure they thought about it. And God says, so what? What you did was so much worse. What we have done in sinning, we have to see it the way that God sees it. Whatever the sin is, I don't care how little, how small, how just a little white lie, it's bad enough where Jesus had to pay for it. He had to. I was thinking this morning about uh, my grandkids and how that for their birthday they want these expensive things. And, and it's like, all right, we'll all pull our money and we'll all get it for them. And then a week later, they're sitting over in the corner gathering dust. Why is that? And the reason is, is they don't have a concept of what it cost. It's, they asked for it, they got it. We have to understand the price that Jesus paid and then ask the question, what can I add to that? What can I add to that? Why then? And there's a, I'm not going to say who, but there's a person that regularly asks me this question. Why then be good? I'm going to heaven anyway. I asked the same question. Once I realized I was depending on Jesus. Once I realized my feet were off the floor, why then be good? Because quite honestly, being good is not easy all the time. Sometimes being good is expensive. Sometimes being good is uncomfortable. Sometimes being good makes you be around people that you don't really want to be around. And it's a whole lot easier. Well, I'm going to heaven anyway. I'm trusting Jesus. It's real. So why be good? I couldn't answer the question. I couldn't. This is after I realized I was truly, really saved. I couldn't answer the question. Until one day the question was asked in a public assembly and the speaker answered it. You know what he said? He said, you be good because you're grateful for what he did. And then it occurred, it occurred to me that I am trusting him. He's my only hope. But I'm not grateful for what he did. So I began looking and saying, how can I fix this? Because I want him to know I'm grateful. I, I don't want to do anything to get to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't want to hurt his feelings. So I began looking around and saying, what 
did he not have that I do have? And they say, thank you. The obvious first thing is electricity. Jesus didn't have that. Could he have made it? Yes. Jesus could have had an air-conditioned bubble around him as God. No problem. He chose not to. Jesus sweated like anybody else. Have I ever thanked him for electricity? Well, no. Everybody has electricity. That's why everybody's not thankful for it. When I went to Trinidad and then Jamaica, I realized everybody don't have electricity. Made me appreciate it. Then I realized church. Why go to church? I'm going to heaven anyway. Then I realized the reason we go to church is exhorting one another. Nowhere in the Bible does it say for us to go to church and get anything. It says for us to go to church and exhort. Do something. And I thought, this is a way for me to say thank you for what you did. I know it's not near enough to get me to heaven after what I did. Going to church is not going to get me any, anywhere after what he's done. But I can sure go and be around other people and say, you know what, the Bible says this. And that says thank you to him. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm trying to answer Danny's question from 30 years ago. How do I know I'm not a bastard? i got to fix that. How do I know I'm not a bastard? How do I know I'm a son? It's got nothing to do with May the 12th, 1974. It has everything to do with are my feet off the ground. Now, I hope that's helped you in some way. If it hasn't, iron this thing out. Ask every Christian you know to help, but iron it out. One of the biggest, one of the biggest signs that we're saved is the correction for the sin that we keep getting hung up on. That's one of the biggest signs. But that is not a guarantee because there's a lot of people who are terrible, terrible people suffering because of their sin. Adolf Hitler, one of the biggest, he watched his whole country, his whole everything get blown up right in front of him. If that wasn't discipline, I don't know what is. Was he saved? I don't think so. He certainly didn't give any evidence of it. I've got to get that computer going again. It's going to take me a minute. Dave, lead us in a song. Lead us in standing on the promises. I don't want you to stand. Okay? This song is not about not sitting. It's about depending on the promises of God. It's like depending on the chair. So lead us in standing on the promises, Dave, while I get this thing going again. I know what happened to it. And then we'll pick up. Standing on what number? Nine. Nine. Standing on the promises of Christ the King. Ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God my Savior. Promises that cannot fail when I 
and fear assail. By the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord. Bound to Him eternally with love's strong cord. Overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Is there another verse? I need one more. Yeah. Yeah. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing. I'm standing on the promises of God. It should be there. Why is it not there, Wade? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it should be there. TV turned off. Whoever said that, thank you. Bonnie did. Bonnie did. Bonnie's not supposed to be talking in church. Shame on Bonnie. Shame on Bonnie. Here we go. All right, let's catch back up. Stuff like this is why I'm so happy God put me in a small church. Okay? I heard... a preacher of a big church make this statement. He said, preachers get a tremendous amount of bad news. Almost every day he hears about somebody that died in his congregation because there's so many. It occurred to me, I am so glad I've got a small congregation. Okay, let's catch up this thing. We are moving, 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 moving. All right, verse 9 in Hebrews 12 is where we're at. Verse number 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. He knows the steps it will take for us to succeed. This one is huge. God knows the steps it's going to take for us to beat that sin, whatever it is. No matter how big the addiction, God knows the steps it's going to take to overcome it. That's powerful because in most cases, what they offer in the world is about 30% successful. You hear about these people that go to rehab, then they go back to rehab, then they go back to rehab, then they go back to rehab. Because rehab's not enough for them. And I would bet money 
in almost all cases, if not all, Jesus is not a part of it. Sure. I would bet money. Yeah. Jesus has to be step one. And I submit to you, Jesus knows every single step to take. Now sometimes those steps are through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes those steps are scary, but he knows exactly which step to tell us to take. In the same way our Father corrects us the best way they know how, <coughs> He successfully corrects us. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Folks, it's supposed to be difficult. This is the second time he said it. It's supposed to be difficult. It warns us and others not to go there. That's the purpose of the discipline. It's not to make us pay for what we did. I want you to think about this. Adam and Eve committed one sin. They were kicked out of the garden forever. You're telling me that nothing they could have done would have paid for that one sin? After all, it was one, maybe two pieces of fruit. The rest of the tree they didn't touch. There's not something they couldn't have built God a big church. They had 900 years. They lived that long. They could have done it. God says, no, no there's not a thing you can do. Don't even try. Not even try. God didn't tell them to get baptized because it wasn't going to work. Nothing Adam and Eve could have done would have paid for that one sin. God wants to warn other people. That's why in the Old Testament He sent so many prophets. Isaiah should have been enough. Moses should have been enough. But God also sent Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, all all of them warning people to don't sin. All of them. God actively is warning us and others, don't do it because there is a price to be paid. If we're paying the price, say, thank you, God, you just gave me one more proof that you're real. Imagine... If we did whatever we want and just got away with it because there's no father anywhere that claimed us. How disheartening would that be? No one wants me. On the other hand, someone wants me so much, they're going to make a price that's so high that I've got to do what's right because they care about me. That's a big evidence that we are saved. Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Try again. Lift up those hands and again lift up those knees and again make the path straight. Keep trying. Try, try, try. If you fail, get up again. If you fail, get up again. Never, ever, 
ever stop trying to beat that sin. Well, I'm going to have it anyway. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying, and this is how you thank me? Never, ever, ever stop trying. Recognizing that it's supposed to be hard. Recognizing He will guide me, but I'm not a very good follower. Recognizing when the day comes for me to get into heaven, I can't say anything because i got this sin that I just cannot beat. But Jesus is going to get me in. Never, ever, ever stop trying. Even if you pass a Hardee's on the way to church. Fifty percent of the weight that I had, fifty percent of it came from Hardee's. Fifty percent. I know this because I figured out when we stopped at Hardee's on Sunday morning. I weighed myself two days later, which Tuesday's my weigh-in day. Stopped at Hardee's. Every single week that we stopped at Hardee's and I weighed myself, I gained one pound. On the other hand, just not going to Hardee's, my weight would stay flat. One thing. But we gotta stop at Hardee's! That's Michelle talking, not me. <laughs> Problem number one. We were bringing Malik. Malik, he's much louder than that. And if you pass Hardee's, he will pitch a fit that you will not believe until you go back to Hardee's. That being said, I'm a grown man. I certainly should be able to avoid Hardee's breakfast, wouldn't you think? She's eating it. He's eating it. I'm not so bad. It's, it's, it's not like I'm a, 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 a drunkard. It's like, well, yeah, I kind of am. But it's not the same. People will look bad at me if I stop at Hardy's on the way. I mean, imagine knowing you went to church and somebody drank beer before they got to church. That would, um, um, what's his name? Your dad. Don. Don, okay. I'm sure that had to be scandalous knowing he's out in the parking lot drinking a beer. Okay. But at the same time, I'll go back in the back and just gorge myself on food. It's the same thing. How do we fix it? We stopped going by Hardee's. To this day, we do not drive by Hardee's. Ever. Never. Because, number one, it keeps her from being tempted, it keeps me from being tempted, and Malik's got nothing to remind him there's a Hardee's. And it works like a charm. How long did I try before I was able to beat Hardee's? A bunch. A bunch. You say, Danny, this is, it sounds simple. It's any overindulgence, any sin, anything that God says, what you're doing is not good for you, you need to stop. Figure out a way. Figure out a way to listen hard enough to Jesus from the Bible, from your circumstances, to get around the sin. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. What does that mean? The hands which hang down, the feet and knees, and the feet. 
all three of those things if they're allowed to just stay still they will eventually rot and die wherefore lift up the hands do the work lift up the knees do the work make the path straight do the work just for your own survival now for an alcoholic this is easy to see because alcoholics will drink themselves to death for a drug addict easy to see they'll they'll uh, uh, shoot up to death a lot of us our sin there's absolutely nothing that's going to kill us about it but we know deep inside it's killing our spirit we just feel useless it's like why is it so easy for other people to be a christian it's so hard for me usually it's this one sin that keeps tripping us up he's saying do the work never ever ever quit he knows the steps it will take for us to succeed seek his guidance in the word and in our circumstances and in the leadership of the holy spirit put the three of them together and you'll be surprised at the answers he will give us on a step by step basis do not expect what chuck got chuck when he realized he didn't stop smoking, God just shot him to the end. That's very, very rare. That's something to praise God about every day, Chuck. Praise God about that every day because there are people that have worked so hard and would give them anything to be where you're at. There are people to this day struggling with cigarettes. It's like, man, I, I would give everything if God would just take this away. That's something to praise God for every day. Every day. When anyone says that it's not addicted, it's not a, uh, a chemical, they are a liar. That's exactly right. And I, I read in last night in uh, uh, Psalms, mm -hmm. every man is a liar. That's right. <laughs> are, are you one right now or are you one yesterday? You what? Are you a liar right now or are you a liar yesterday? Just sometimes you're a liar. Yeah, I, I got you. Okay. <laughs> Healing is slow. Folks, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. Father, thank you for Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you for Proverbs. I can't remember what chapter it is, but thank you that Solomon had his struggle so that we can understand our struggle is not impossible. It is absolutely workable. Help us, please, to seek you, get, seek guidance from you for the next step. Help us never, ever, ever to just sit back and let it win. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.